Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, legendary poddlers. This is Jack, your lore bender and table manager for the season of Even Footing Games Presents Avatar Legends, or rather, I should say, Avatar with Cortex. Mm hmm. And with me this week, well, we got an interesting surprise here. Uh, not only do we have Garrett. Hey, Garrett, what's up? Hey, how's it going? We also got Lisa here for her first table talk. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> Welcome to the table. <laughs> yeah. The big kids table. I've never been here. Last point five episode you were with myself and Aaron, and we were going over why we decided to basically take Avatar Legends and be like, eh, yeah, no, not today. And decided to drop in with Cortex. Cortex Prime being a system directed by uh, Cam Banks, who seems like a nice guy. If you jump on their Discord, he's actually very active and very talkative. Cool guy. I've talked to him a few times. So today's topic is actually going to be about building that dice pool. That is one of the main core mechanics of Cortex Prime because Cortex Prime is a very moldable system. It's got mods, mods for days, mm -hmm. but everything still linkens back to building that dice pool. That is the one thing you cannot avoid. Now, generally, you have different categories for your characters. So you almost you always have distinctions. Distinctions are usually statements about your character that you assign a D8 dice to. Other popular mods or what they call traits are values, which break down certain key things about your character, like their dispositions toward things, their motivations towards things. Attributes are another trait that is popular, which usually boils down to either D&D &D type traits or attributes. We decided to use the attributes from Avatar Legends, which were creativity, focus, harmony, and passion, and assign them values as well. Other popular ones are their skill system, which you assign skills you have a choice number of skills and you assign the dice values to them. We are using a offshoot of that called specialties, where you specifically just home in on what your character's good at. Assets, another popular one that we that we are using too, which are just trinkets, weapons, objects, things things animals. that might affect animals. Yeah, good point, because you do have an animal. Things like that affect your story. And we are using one for relationships because we want relationships to matter. Now, there are a lot of other mods in the Cortex Prime book. Oh, my God. Give you a brief just idea of, <laughs> of all the different types of rolling mods or rather trait mods. It's got so many. If there's something you want, they'll have a way to do it. Affiliations, attributes, distinctions, powers, power sets, power abilities, abilities as gear, relationships, reputations, resources, signature assets, skills, roles, skill permits, specialties, multi-level specialties, no skills, just specialties, skill and specialty split, special effects, talents, trait statements, values and vehicles are just some of the ones that are in the core prime book. Mm -hmm. And those are all ones that we could have done. Now, each one of these traits are different categories and you're assigning dice values to from a d4 to a d12 and you use those to basically try to gauge what your character is good at what your character values what your character feels is important or what is important about them and you're using that to build your dice pool so let's throw out a hypothetical we're going to be using the characters that we are using from the avatar game so let's say she she, if I was to put you in a situation, let's say, hmm, what's up with something fun? Well, kind of like... You, you got it? 
when we just did the getting out of the swamp and we had way decided to put up a perimeter defense and I said, oh, yeah. I need to help us find some shelter because we need something over our heads or else we're going to just be out to the elements. And I said, well, I'm an adaptable farmer. That's a distinction. And that's my distinction. So usually when I'm building my dice pools, I like to start with distinction. Then I go to values because that's another one we're using. And because this was something for my friends, it was my devotion, my friends. It was driving me to actually make proper shelter for them. And then I said, with that, it was also a creativity because I was using makeshift stuff. Yes. You can't exactly say correct or incorrect because it really depends on how your character's feeling. Because bear in mind, the other distinctions you have are rural, dual heritage, adaptable farmer, and your quirk is uh, there's always a way. Mm-hmm. So again, that's the one that you always have to pull from. You always have to pull from a distinction. The other ones are all optional. Now, the values we have chosen, you can swap these out. I tried to do a combination of values from the Tales of Zadia Cortex game. And also I threw in a bit a bit of wording from the Avatar setting itself. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, you chose devotion because it has to do with your friends. We have glory, which is about doing that, uh, you know, doing it for the bragging rights. Yeah, to be noticed. The one that I had to put in that was definitely Avatar was uh, I had to throw an honor my honor. I had to throw that in for Zuko. <laughs> Have you ever been compelled to fix what's wrong? There's freedom, which is about resisting the control of others. There's mastery, which is about doing what you're good at and what you're skilled at and what you're doing through practice. And truth is, are you being motivated to learn the truth? And each one of these she has as a different value as mm-hmm. to what's important for she such as glory is a d4 meaning it is not at all important to you nope but he is very devoted and he's also very high in honor and mostly honor towards doing what's right by his friends so most of my dice pulls end up being about devotion or honor and then we go to the attributes and it's kind of do we go which one do we go with and it's usually once you start building that dice pool you can figure out what attribute kind of describes what approach I'm going to take based off of what my values and my distinction are. So it could have worked. Could have. agree that there are no right or wrong answers as I'm learning by playing. I feel that as long as you can reason it and then the DM is <laughs> agrees, I think, is that usually what it is? Because I oh, no, feel like... Oh no, you 100% nailed it. Because I feel like she could have been like, oh, yeah, I, he, using harmony, maybe like, oh, I want to promote everybody feeling more unity. So I'm going to build one big tent instead of like many small tents. And I guess you could use harmony for that. I don't know. I don't know if. Um, no, you technically could have. Mm-hmm. That, no, that, that's a very valid point. Because one thing in particular is before you're even building your dice pool, you are stating what you're doing. So what you're doing is you are talking about and picking the things that are either important or what your character is motivated by to do the thing that you are saying. So in which case she was building shelter and then Garrett picked what is in line with she doing that. Didn't have any specialties or assets that really worked with that. And your relationships, there wasn't anything you were directly doing with anyone. So we didn't bother having you didn't pick from any of those. 
Yeah, if I was doing something specifically for one of the individuals, we could have put relationship in. Been like, yes. if I was making something specifically for Mayu, because she happens to think Mayu is really cool, <laughs> she and Mayu are best buds, and it could have been like, well, she says, I'm going to make a special hut over here for Mayu, and I'll put extra effort into that because it's for Mayu. And then done something for each of the individuals and just rolled them all separately. We just did it as a general. The thing I like about this system and having your character sheet in front of you is in a lot of role-playing games I always felt like it's kind of up to you to determine whichever way the wind blows and how you feel like at that moment. I feel like having distinctions and values and attributes and your relationships the way that Jack selected the things for us it reminds me, as I play, what are the things that are supposed to be important to my character? Right. And that was kind of my my thoughts on building this. Because also bear in mind, I built part of this actually with the help and opinions and thoughts of the Cortex, the Cortex community that were actually very curious. And I hope some of you guys are listening. <laughs> They're very curious about how we were going to do this. And I let them know some of the values I had in mind. You know, they thought doing the attributes from the straight from the avatar system was definitely an interesting touch. But I've seen I've seen a lot of different things already with Cortex. Harkening back to the Ninja Turtles game that I always end up talking about. Because, you know, we did Avatar there and then we did, you know, now Cortex. And I didn't do I did values at first. But it really didn't feel like it was really fitting that much because then you can uh, change them and adapt them. And I end up doing uh, motivations. Yeah, I could see that. Which was an interest, an interesting touch where I kind of listed them more like what your was your motivating factor rather than what value were you using? Because it's Ninja Turtles. I also thought about doing rather than attributes, we were doing approaches from fate, the fate mm. system, which got me looking into the fate system. Because that was actually recommended to me by the Cortex community. Now, I also saw like one thing, for example, like the book, the Cortex book gives a great example on values where it's talking about, you know, they're like, oh, hey, if you're doing like maybe like a gritty romance, like interesting intrigue game, maybe your values might be the seven deadly sins. And I was like, okay, you got my attention. So when we go to our telenovela, we can make it Seven Deadly Sins, the telenovela. I 100% want to be on the telenovela one. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> I think we've had oh, okay. a lot of... It's a waiting list. Okay. <laughs> we've had no, a no, lot I of so... drama and uh, interpersonal interaction in this lately than a lot of our... Yeah. Uh, well, when we're, like we said, when we were playing... We're not babies in this. We're teenagers. In babies, you just Which assume is everything is all, all sunshine and hugs. <laughs> teenagers are all like, see the way they're looking at you? Can't tell if they like you or they hate you. It's one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Are they ignoring me? I can't tell. No, I think they're obsessed with me. I don't know. Yeah, teenagers are different. They have their own way of thinking. Oh, yeah. Now, bear in mind, the funny thing is, even with Avatar Legends, you don't necessarily have to be a teenager. 
the system is more than built. Avatar Legends was built for, you know, if you wanted to be an adult and you don't have to be a teenager when doing Cortex or playing Avatar in general. I mean, the core group was in their 20s or like early 20s. Almost teenagers. (laughs) And of course, they they had their own drama. I was very tempted to play an elder. Which would have been fun. Because at least in the Roku era, being an elder can be a nomad. Ooh. Yeah. I didn't want that so, responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you? God, you sound like you sound like Tenzin. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, Lisa, how do you feel when you built the dice bowl? Do you feel like it's been I know I've only had to do a few rolls, but do you feel like it's been pretty easy to yes. build? Yeah, I think once you get the hang of it, it's really easy because honestly, I feel like you can have like if you can reason it you could pretty much use all your specialties and abilities and stuff i think you are limited to only one distinction and values and attributes right you said unless you play up spend a plot point Mm -hmm. okay i think it's easy and and i actually thought the more you have in your dice pool the better but then you were saying earlier today that it would mean the chances of getting rolling a one is higher so can you actually clarify why that's a downside is that just because it you'll buy it from us and we'll have you'll cause us a thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. well that's called a hitch yep if you get a one the big downside is you cannot use that die for anything you cannot add it to your total you cannot use it for an effect you cannot use that die for anything that's the big downside. But yeah, the GM can offer to buy it as a hitch. You get a plot point because I'm choosing to, to give you a complication. By default, the complications usually I add stress on to you. Stress being kind of like the hit point value, essentially. I work with the players to figure out what fits. So I know sometimes in the book it specifically says, oh, yeah, no, the GM says what it does. I'm like, nah, I'm giving you guys emotional damage and stuff. You tell me what that means to you. (laughs) That's worse. (laughs) Emotional damage. I mean, it's like worse in that context, but it's good for the game and keeping us on our feet. Or do one of my personal favorites, which is I like using hitches to cause a complication, a narrative complication. Just like in Powered by the Apocalypse, where, you know, someone rolls bad. Well, there might be a... Yeah, you did the thing. With a little hiccup. Or maybe something it causes something to happen in the background that you don't realize. And then the more we gather hitches, the more that things comes out of the background to haunt us later. And then we yes. finally deal with stuff. You got it. That could be... Yep. That's, that's how I, I roll. So I have a question, actually. If I build a big dice pool and I roll multiple ones, are you only allowed to buy one of them or not? That is a very good question. Now, here's the thing. I can buy all of them. And then but how would here's the, that... Here's the downside. I still only give you one plot point. Mm-hmm. But I can activate all three or four or whatever. Oh. Yeah. Because you can only earn plot points at once each phase so you roll you get a plot point there when you're working out your values and everything if you're gaining plot point through like a special effect or something you can gain a plot point there but only one 
I mean, I can buy three hitches, but you're only getting one plot point, and I'm activating those suckers three times. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that's... this whole time, I thought it was good to have a big dice pool. It is good. It is good and bad. I would say it's good if you have a lot of high number dice. Mm-hmm. If you have a lot of low number dice, yeah, that's not that good. If you're looking at D fours and D sixes, so maybe don't add those to your dice pool. <laughs> Do it when it makes sense to. There's times where a D six is useful because you may roll a one on your D ten, yep. and that D six may, may actually s- save you. Yep, I've seen it happen. We say, like, you know, oh, that's not good. But at the same time, getting the the hitches and the narrative complications and the plot points, I mean, they're all good because it's it's fun. It's yeah. fun narrative. And the plot points, you want to rank those babies up. It's a lot like, so I used to run a lot of D100 skill-based systems, and I would narratively take a look at the roles and come up with, other things that were happening in the background, let things happen, but other stuff would advance. It's very similar to what Jack's doing. It's more of a mechanic to allow these negatives to happen. Yeah. There's a basic thing with uh, role-playing where they say, keep it to Dora the Explorer level. We're going to go to the (laughs) bridge. We're going to go to the forest. We're going to go to the mountain. It gets really boring when Dora has no problems doing all three of those things. But if along the way she has a hitch and on the way to the forest from the bridge, she runs into Swiper. That was a hitch. Yeah. I agree. To overly simplify it for everyone. When you get a hitch, like it's not a bad thing, but it like is something to be aware of. Okay, so if you buy all three of my hitches, are you going to give me a worst scenario or are you going to have like three smaller like inconveniences <laughs> or whatever like how would- I would base that on the situation mm-hmm. okay alright because I could rack it up because to give you an idea let's say that I decided to not really so much do a narrative complication I decided to add stress onto you I can literally add those to your exhaustion now let's say the first one would be a d6 and then with every one after that, I just step it up. So I'll be like, okay, the D6 is now a D8. Okay, it's now a D10. And now, you, now that means you took a D10 exhaustion. Yeah. Which so, is a lot. From context, I can tell that that's not something I want. But can you explain why a D10 exhaustion is... Like, I'm... I mean, yeah. We, um, have, we, haven't, we haven't had to do it too much. Let's say your character has a D10 exhaustion... Mm-hmm. Whenever you roll in the future on anything that we feel that your exhaustion is involved, mm-hmm. like let's say you're exerting yourself physically in some other way, I take that D10 and I roll with it against you. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. See, now so that, that makes that sense because gives... I was like, the D10 sounds like it would be better for me, but now that I know that nope. it's for you to use, then that makes ah, more sense. But if you spend a plot point, you can use that D10 if you can explain how. Maybe the exhaustion is a motivator. You're pushing you through. Of course, when you do that, though, it t- automatically bumps it up to a D12 after you do it. But you would oh. have a D10 to use. So it's like you're pushing through it, but you're making it worse in the long run. Okay. But hey, maybe that helped you. I, that makes sense. 
yeah, it's a fun little thing. Cool. And you can also Sorry. take you, hinder, you can also take like hindrances on your own rolls. So one of the things with our distinctions, we can gain plot points when we switch out a D eight for like a D four. So we're kind of intentionally handicapping ourselves if it's right. something we're pretty sure we're going to do anyway. Yeah, distinctions always have a hinder mechanic where, yeah, you can step it from a D8 to a D4 down, where if you feel like you're really low on plot points, and all it is is just steps it down for just that roll. Mm-hmm. We haven't really been using plot points, and you were saying that your other group were not getting enough. Ah, the turtle game, yep. Okay, the thing I've learned through that game to manage the difficulty levels better. That turtle game, I was doing a lot of D8s and D10 rolls and rolling really freaking well. Oh. Now, one thing in particular, which a very keen listener might figure out a bit of insider info here. <laughs> there have been a few times already where I've said something like, hmm, well, I've rolled a seven, a three and a six. And you think I'd take that seven, a six, right? I'd make that take that 13. And you hear me say, no, I'm taking the seven and the three. Mm-hmm. I narratively don't feel like what you're doing wouldn't be a 13 difficulty. Yeah. To so use my Ninja Turtle game. We did Ninja Tag. That was the first thing I did with them to show the system off. Leonardo was an NPC. Leonardo was it. I rolled three eights and I got a a one, an eight, and a seven. So I had to take that 15. Mm-hmm. And if you look at your own dice, bearing in mind, because again, you're rolling, but you're picking two, that would have meant that you would have had to have rolled something higher than an eight and a seven. Yeah. <laughs> and that was for a game of tag, which sounds pretty extreme. I tried to spin it that Leonardo was a really pumped up, but it still felt kind of disheartening to the players where they're like, points. So I can't even, or like, even if they did, they were like still not rolling that well where they could have even gotten up to a fifth, like close to a 15 on their total. Because, you know, you could spend a plot point to add a third die to your to- total from what you rolled. And it just wasn't happening. The rolls were abysmal. They didn't really have the plot points to do it. They were getting into a lot of situations where, you know, even with plot points, it still wouldn't help them because I was rolling way too well. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just created a bad situation. So it's kind of like if your GM rolls really well and is using eights and tens a lot. Oh, you'll feel it. But because I've learned from that situation is why I usually use like sixes and eights for you guys. Yeah. Much appreciated. Because also there is a difficulty rating in the Cortex book for what they call uh, static difficulty, where if I didn't even want to roll, I could just literally use just say, OK, this is it's like DC for Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is an eight. And the values that they have is D6 is counted as easy. D8 is counting as average challenge or rather call challenging. D10 is what they consider hard. So I try to think of, okay, is what you're doing 
what I feel based on your character's abilities, easy, challenging, or hard. And that's what fits with a, a narrative system is that adjustment so that you're because we're all trying to tell a story together and no one wants a story where everyone always succeeds and no one always no one wants a story where everyone always fails. I will say fun thing with the Ninja Turtle game. And this is just a fun little aside with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, to cut you off. You mentioning that is interesting because with the Ninja Turtle game, we're having a slight problem with that. Because it's hard to imagine the Ninja Turtles losing, especially against, like, let's say they're fighting against foot soldiers. Mm. I roll really well. They roll like garbage. Now the Ninja Turtles are getting beat up by foot ninjas? Yeah. Yeah. It feels weird. It's like having your level five die to a level one. Yeah. No, I think long before a lot of the narrative systems games popularity, it was kind of a lot of what we were doing... So I, my background is playing role master as a kid. We would use the dice rolls and I would, I tended to do an adjustable difficulty. They always said, oh, you should have the difficulty set ahead of time, like your DC value. I usually would fudge it because narratively I had certain things I wanted to see happen and you could adjust it to be just how well or how poorly did someone manage to succeed. A lot like we end up doing with our narrative systems, especially with babies and broadswords, and then how we were doing with the Avatar, and now we're continuing on with the Cortex. So And is going right into our playtest with potential. Exactly. Which I've been a part of, which mm-hmm. has been fun. Those are some fun stories already, and we've only like three sessions in. Exactly. I love what, I love what Jimmy's doing with it. Now, the point that I was going to get at was... The interesting thing about Cortex with that is it was described to me as a very swingy system. The dice rolls swing hard Mm. depending on what you're doing and depending on how many dice you throw in, what kind of dice. It can swing so hard where your player's on top of the world and suddenly just nothing. It's like it was almost as bad. Like I've seen it go almost as bad as like. Yeah, like we've all played Dungeons and Dragons and had a really bad night mm-hmm. <laughs> of rolling. You know, you find you're not hitting ever. You know, you're finding you're failing all of your skill checks. It could be just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. Because you have because in this game, you have plot points which are supposed to help you in those situations. And sometimes it's not enough. And it feels weird that you have this thing here. Like inspiration in Dungeons and Dragons. You're like, yeah, it's an extra D20. It can go anyway. Here, it's like, no, I literally have a mechanic to help me achieve these things that I feel are important, and I can't. My dice did not roll well enough to do that. The GM rolled too well. I was reading someone describe Fate versus Cortex, where they said, Cortex, you have to be willing to accept that major swing. And the fact that sometimes, even with the mechanics to help, that's not going to happen. Fate, on the other hand, you can just buy if you have the fate points you can just buy your way to success yeah. which is different the fact that it just just the idea of having this mechanic where you can buy and sometimes it not working is a very awkward feeling you guys haven't been able to witness it because i've been trying to have you guys avoid it mm-hmm. that is appreciated at the same time there need to be some of those instances where no matter how well prepared you thought you were and how good you are and how proficient you are, sometimes you just fall flat. And I think that's 
that's something that can occur anytime you have dice pools or rolls. Yeah. And it's kind of just what happens. And then it's up to the game master and the players to come up with, hmm, maybe we need to try something different. Maybe we retcon and we do this all over again. Yeah. Or come up with creative solutions. We're telling a story together. And sometimes, a lot like in real life, things don't work out perfectly. Do you guys have any final thoughts about building dice pools to wrap that back around? I don't know. I, I think it's just, for me, it just felt very overwhelming at first. But like once, after building it twice, actually like, because like, I know our group built it once and then around the second time I was like, okay, I'm getting a hang of it. I know what I'm doing. And that like, so now I'm like, oh, okay, it's not like, it didn't feel like, oh my gosh, like exhaustion. It seems overwhelming, but it isn't. But the way you set up your character is important, though. It gives right. you tools to tell a narrative is what I'm finding. And then yes, building I, your dice pools are how you tell your narrative. So I agree with you because it's like in this fantasy world, like it's like, what are you going to do? You know, and it's like, well, I can do anything, you know, but like, oh, but you shouldn't do anything that is like not your that your character would find like inauthentic unless that's part of like the the story or something. Yeah, you want to. It definitely helps. And sometimes it is going to be hard to quantify things. But, like, I found that my fellow players have been really helpful. I mean, it's it's new to mostly everyone playing Avatar Legends, right? Like, in this group. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I don't, I don't think it was, like, hard to pick up. I'm glad that Jack, like, is familiar with it and, like, can explain and, and stuff. And I think that makes it definitely very much easier and smoother. But Thank I you. think even... Oh, you're welcome. But even if, like, everyone was new, well, I think you would definitely still need a, a knowledgeable GM. So, you know what? Never mind. Scratch that last part. But, like, it's it's definitely not as overwhelming as it may seem in the beginning. I mean, obviously, for every tabletop, yeah, knowledgeable GM is what makes things go. <laughs> well, and like yeah. Jack pointed out, it could easily be quashed by taking the hardest roles all the time and the GM leveraging to the 90th degree to just beat us. I mean, GM mentality changes from GM to GM. There are GMs that are all about that challenge that are just like, you know, I have a friend who literally said, yeah, when I GM, you're against me. Oh, I don't want to play them then. Because it's like, as if I was living life and it's like me against the world. Like, I don't want to. Like do that. <laughs> yeah, he's very much about you overcome his challenges, you overcome his obstacles, you but overcome his challenges. He, you know, is he as popular as you? <laughs> a that's, a, that's an interesting question. He does not GM often, and it's not because of that. It's just oh, okay. because he doesn't. He technically he just likes being a player usually, uh, or he, does, he he doesn't even play tabletop all that often. Okay, so not, it's a not like I do. Thing. Okay. Fun thing is, he's the Raphael in my Turtles game. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Don't tell him I told him I said he was unpopular. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably, he'd probably say the same thing I did. He'd be like, I hardly play. But no, he, I mean, he's a good GM. And where if you want a GM that gives you a challenge, wants a GM that's trying to like push you and stuff, that can be fun. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a bad yeah, way of doing it. You're right. I take it back. I 
he would not be popular with my style of playing, but that doesn't mean that other people do not find that style like other yeah. people dislike it. So yeah. yeah. And Ooh, he has taken a look at Cortex and all these narrative systems and he enjoys playing them. He's like, I'd never run them. He's like, I'd always run something that's more skill based. Yeah, that's understandable. So is that but like more like straightforward, them. like like technical and less like imaginative? Like, well, I, I'm, well, I'm not well, sure. To bring, well, to bring it around to the dice pool, with a dice pool, you're building what your character would do and how they would do it and the approach they would take. Skill-based systems is more about what your character can do, and it's more of that like pass-fail. While with us, narratively, it's more not pass-fail, it's, well, is it good narrative or is it bad narrative? It's about how and why you're doing something. About how and why you're doing something. Him as a GM is a little more, you know, like the dice pool with this and how you're building out why. Your character's doing it. He doesn't I mean he again. He has fun with it as a player, but not as a GM. Yeah. As a GM, he doesn't care about that. He just wants you to to just be like, do you do the thing or not? Do you think of the smart way to do it? He doesn't as and a GM care. You know what's funny is that before playing this, I thought all GMs were very like I don't even know. It's like very the same all the time, consistent. Like I wouldn't think like the example you gave. It's like you rolled like a. I don't know, a five, a six, and a seven. And you didn't pick, like, the two largest dice, right? And, like, it's like, oh, that seems like it would be wrong against the rules. Like, you know, like, that's the point, you know, that, like, the universe treats every situation that... I don't even know how to, I mean, like... No, I get exactly what you're saying. What you're saying is that it, it feels weird that I would not do the thing that makes it the hardest possible. Yeah, because to me, it's like, oh... Before playing, right? I was like, oh, the GM is like objective, right? This is what he rolled. Oh, he or she rolled. And typically, I thought the rule would be to pick the two biggest numbers. But I'm finding that I do like the the personalization you bring to it because you tailor the games to the player. Whereas like that other way is less personal. It's a different approach. Um mm-hmm. We tend to want a very cooperative, even approach from the game master. And that's kind of the way that we did babies and broadswords and that we're approaching both the avatar legends and the potential system in that the game master is there to help tell the story as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to be the deity who oversees the story, but to be there co-telling the story with the players. Right. I'm, I'm going to throw out an interesting example. Did you watch Do you watch Stranger Things? I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this episode, Eddie. Yes. Oh, beloved Eddie. The one... Wait, he's in a few. Well, he's the... he's in, He was in the season. He was the DM. The oh. Eddie the Freak. Oh, oh, now, oh. Now, here's the, the thing. The episode here's, where they play D&D. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And here's I, the fun thing. Leading up to that, Eddie seemed like a tyrannical dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Like, he seemed like the type that was all like, I'm going to crush you. But then, if you noticed, when they took down Vecna, he bowed to them with a big smile on his face. Because he was happy for them that they overcame the challenge. He was like, yay, we told a great story. That was really close, guys. And you can even see that, like, if you look back at that, he was, like, sweating when the player was, like, when the character was about to die. Mm -hmm. Like, he was like, he's like, ooh, how are you going to do this? And you could tell it was, like, not just, like, so much, like, 
he wanted it to, you know, he wanted the bad thing to happen, but he liked the tension. Yeah. And he wanted the players to have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the key thing with like Cortex. If you're doing it right with the dice pools, the GM can do that with the GM building their own dice pool. And yeah, picking the dice. I'm just trying to make sure you guys have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying I'm not trying to make things difficult. Oh, yeah, I want things to be difficult. I'm more of the I like things difficult narratively. Not so much the dice. The dice are rather just to facilitate. I believe in the story detail should be hard. Yeah. <laughs> the choices yeah. you have to make should be hard. I well, think just just like we 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 twisted and got our way out of fighting and we got our way out of fighting again. And finally, Jack brought it around to, nope, we're going to fight. We're finally going to fight. It's going to happen now. So, yeah, I think what I was trying to say is that I did think of GMs as, like, these deities, you know, and they, like, throw stuff at us. But knowing that is not necessarily true. I think it might have, I might have started playing earlier. I don't know. I can Mm -hmm. understand that completely. That comes from, like, an experienced GM. Mm -hmm. Like, not trying to toot my own horn. I've gone through my trials. I have been that tyrannical GM because I didn't know better. (laughs) I've had total party kills facing a brown bear that was chained. Yeah, stuff like that. Like, I was, I've, I've, I've done, I've done some horrible crimes as a GM. But I've looked back at those times and I've learned. And, you know, and I've found my where my strengths are and you grew as a GM <laughs> I leveled up as a GM mm-hmm. yes <laughs> well thank you for all the compliments I very much appreciate that I'm really glad you're having fun yeah um, Garrett any final thoughts on the uh, dice pool oh yeah my final thought was so long sorry I think we've <laughs> no, gone, it's okay no I think we've gone through quite a bit on building the dice pools how they help us build and understand our characters as we're role playing but also then what it means for judicious game mastering to create a better story and how that creates yep. a better narrative for everyone and a better playing environment for newer players too. Right. Because the GM, I had to build a dice pool too. Mm-hmm. I go by the similar concepts. I have like Ren, for example, is a catalyst. He has a character sheet just like you guys. You hear me? I have to pull from his traits and in regards to you know, other challenges I have to pull. Not so much Can from... Can we shut like, you down? Or be like, no, you can't use that <laughs> dice because blah, blah, blah. Like... I mean, if you want to bring up the... If you want to bring up, hey, that doesn't seem right. Throw it at me. I'm always willing to listen. Mm, it you, doesn't mean it I'll agree. Depends. Because sometimes I might have a motive that's not clear yeah. to you guys. Uh, yet. Yet. <laughs> You never know. There might be something hidden behind rocks or something in the sky that you can't tell what they are. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they might be a grandma floating in the water. They might be. <laughs> and I think with that, thank you all, Legendary Poddlers, for listening. We hope you enjoyed this talk about the Cortex Prime Systems dice pulling mechanics. Join us next week for another great episode of the actual play and then another episode after that of more table talk this is jack from even footing games along with garrett and lisa and good morning good evening good afternoon enjoy your day and remember we're even footing games we play and make games that you'll get a kick out of